That'll be the last time I use any Ukrainian on you, but that's good morning in Ukrainian. Um, and so, wow, I'm hearing a lot of stuff here. I don't know. Is it okay out there? I'll get, I'll get used to it. Okay. Um, so I, I want to share with you just a lot of stuff today. There's, there's a lot I would like to tell you. I don't have time. As you know, we just passed the anniversary of the, the beginning of the, the uh, war that, that Russia has uh, uh, taken on to the nation of Ukraine. It's a weird thing for me because uh, since 1992, my life has been kind of tied to those places. In 1992, Shelley and I, with our two children, went uh, yeah went um, to, to Kiev. That's not what I expected to see. But. It's scary when you have power, you're in control, and you have no idea what you're in control of. Uh, but anyway... Anyway, we, we moved there, and when we went there, we went to be missionaries. We took our little four-year-old and eight-year-old, our four-year-old son, eight-year-old daughter, and we, um, we started the work of the church there. Do you think those are coming up? Because they're kind of critical to how I'm going to lead you through this. But anyway, um, so let me just, there are things I need to say in, in the intro anyway. So during that time, we were there from 92, 93, 94, and then we came back home and, and we didn't expect to. That was, it needed to, for us to return then. And, uh, and when we did, we, um, you know, it was kind of this sense inside of me that I, you know, we'd let them down, that we were the ones that worked, and what would happen now that we were gone. But we planted a seed while we were there, and that's the thing I want you to think about. When we talk about um, doing faith promise, we're talking about really planting seeds. You, I don't know, even if you're a millionaire and you give everything you got, it's going to be a small seed when it comes to the reign of God all over but Christ says, you know, he said that the widow's might was, um, was even more than the ones who gave all this huge amounts to the treasure. So as we go, oh, here we are. So as we, um, as we went there, we went there to plant seeds and to sow seeds. Now, in, in, from, two, from 94, 1994, way before a lot of you were in existence, until 2016, I went back, we went back on occasional trips, mainly just to see people and on a sabbatical and just various trips to translate or to do something. But in 2016, the, um, the director of the former Soviet states, the ministry that the church has there, which when you think of that... Soviet Union, it was 11 time zones wide, roughly like Hawaii to London coming across the United States. That's, that's the territory that, that is there. And when they were, when, um, when we went in, in 2016 later, the, the, Scott asked us to come back. And he, Scott uh, Rainey was the director of that region. And he said, would you come back and train our missionaries in the various cities? And so I was doing that work right then uh, in the States. So I began taking half of the year to live here and work with churches and half of the year to live in base in Kiev and to work from Kiev uh, training pastors and training missionaries and working with churches. So 
That work included work throughout Ukraine. We traveled to all sorts of cities, worked with lots of pastors, lots of church boards. But it also included going into Russia, where we worked with the church in Moscow. We worked with the church in St. Petersburg. Those two are a, a good hour and a half flight away from each other, maybe two, I don't know, I forget. I was telling somebody we were on 125 flights a year during those years. So you kind of lose track of what's where. Um, but we would go to, to Russia. I, I want you to know, I wanted to say this, and I forgot to say it in the early service, but this is important. The reason you see so much passion in the Ukrainian people right now to defend their land is not because being conquered by Russia would mean that it would just be the same old, same old. When we went into Ukraine and we shared the gospel from 92, any time in the 2016, 17, 18, 19, we were free. They would announce me, I would speak, I would preach, they would advertise it. It, it. We were just free to move as we wanted as believers working with the church. When we would go to Russia, I had to go as a tourist and I had to get a visa that said I was a, a tourist and I would enter in and when I went to the airport and when I was greeted by people, we couldn't let it look like I was meeting the pastor from a church. I just kind of had to slide through the crowds and, and I had very frightening experiences in Moscow a few times, especially trying to leave the airport. When two of us were interviewed uh, by the exit gate and... Um, two Americans and uh, I got to leave and he didn't and I don't know how long he was there but um, it was always frightening I learned how to hide in a coffee shop before, the, before my flight was called and my row was called and I'd slip out real fast and get out but when we talk about freedom of religion they have it in Ukraine they don't have it in Russia pastors are not allowed to visit in hospitals they're not allowed to visit in jails they're, they're shut down and so what Russia is trying to bring to Ukraine is not freedom and it's it would be a tragedy so I, I wanted to introduce and I wanted to say those words so that you kind of understood today what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through um, several the story of several lives um, from back in 1992 and uh, most of them and I'll take it through the present day what's happening now in the war how are they involved so so I'd like Shelley to come up and read this scripture for me and I want you just to kind of read it slowly and I'd like you just to take it in as you're um, as you're listening and, and watching the words oh this is me you're in charge uh, but by the way, these slides Shelley put together, these are Ukrainian farmers last year planting their fields in, in the wartime. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Thanks. So... I grew up in this church. Uh, 
from the time I was a week old. I think I was here like eight times a week. And so I, I grew up in this church. This, this was my home. And it planted in me a desire to, to do what the kingdom does, and that is to share the ways of the kingdom, the ways of the reign of God. And I was excited. During my youth, we were terrified of the Soviet Union. And some of you are old enough to remember the days when we hid under our desk to pretend we were hiding from a nuclear bomb. Um, but when I was sure every Sunday, I don't know if it still happens, every Saturday at noon, the emergency sirens used to go off in Anderson. You know, and I remember being out riding on my bike in around Southview Edition, and I'd be riding, and that thing would go off, and I would look at the skies, because I was sure that those Soviets were going to bomb us when our alarm went off so that we wouldn't expect it. Um, and I was terrified of them all my life. And then, and then came the time when I had a chance to go to the former Soviet Union after Ukraine had broken off of that Soviet bloc and, and claimed its freedom again from their tyranny, and I was able to go there and be a missionary with my family. And uh, all I did, you know, the more you get to know me, you'll know there's nothing really special about me. I'm no, no fancy guy. I just, just work and do what I'm called to do. And I just planted seeds. And I just did the stuff that you do. And what God did was he took a seed and he grew a tree and he grew a tree and he had fruit and those trees, those let's say apples, they had seeds and they grew fruit. And when we first moved to Ukraine, this is a picture of the kind of a core group that was the first group we had together. This isn't quite all of them, but it's most of them. And so I'll just point out here um, that, that this is my son. Now he's 35 years old now, but he wasn't happy that day. There's, there's my daughter, she's 38 now. But that's when we first got there. Maxine was happy. And, uh, and so it was Lev, I think. But we'll talk about Maxine and Lev and the Pristipukes and Vova and Kola and Sveta. We'll talk about them as we go here. So let's, let's get going. This is Kola, Mikola. Um, and Mikola is, was a goofball. He was a 19-year-old kid that could drive, and he had, a, he had a license to drive. When I first got there, you say, why did you have to have a driver? Well, it was because if I drove, I had to tell them what street I would be on at what time of the day and what days of the week, and it was, it was impossible. When I did drive, I was typically stopped by the police about every 40 minutes, I think was what it averaged out to. I haven't been stopped by a cop since, but I was stopped when I was there the whole time. So Kohler was our driver and he took our kids to school. We trusted our lives with him. That's him up there in our, in our driving the Rafik. That's the Rafik, $4,500 we paid cash for that. It was brand new and it came brand new without the, the steering uh, uh, um, ball bearings and without the floor the mat was there but the floor was gone because that's how they made their living they, they weren't paid enough and so they stole parts out of the vehicles that were made or whatever they were making radios and then they would go on the black market and sell them so Kola put it back together for us and, and he saw us through Kola is now grown up and uh, this is his wife uh, uh, Katya and this is his daughter Sasha and over here is his son uh, Nick Nick and then this is Kolya and that's me looking at the back of Kolya's shoulder um, and my wife so 
they, uh, they grew up, he grew up, had a family, and, and life has been good. He's a businessman. He still drives for businessmen or drives a truck, and he's been, uh, he's been successful, and his son's a good footballer or a soccer player. So um, this is Cola's neighborhood. He sent me this, I think it's been in the last month, of they'd heard the bombing in the night, and uh, he ran out in the morning, and these are the scenes that he saw here. Um, and this is, this is, you know, you see this on the news all the time. But when, um, when you hear it from a dear friend, I get texts often at 2.30 in the morning, pray for us, they're bombing. This is from Kolya. This morning I said, anything I should say to my friends in America? Please pass our boundless gratitude to your people for all the prayers and help for Ukraine. If it wasn't for you and your powerful prayers and help, neither my family nor I would be writing this short note to you right now. Ukraine simply wouldn't exist. Thank you Mary, very much for all you've done and keep doing for us. Now get this, Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He said, please continue praying for us so we sometime may learn how to do that again. With love, Mikula. Who? Um, life has not been cheerful for them. It's not been easy. They have prayed for deliverance over and over, and they just seem to keep getting bombed. And they need our prayers. They need our faithful friendship. Um, so over here, I'll move on. This is Kolya with his mama. And she w they were next door neighbors to us when we lived there um, and then at, for our first place. And then this is Volva and Sylvia. And I'll tell you about them as we move on. So in the next, the next picture I want you to see, this is, this is uh, Svetlana, Svetlana Borisovna Kleshar. Um, she is her, the son of the daughter of B Boris is what all that means but uh, Svetlana was our mama when we got there a little younger than us but she was our mama she was as sweet as could be she had a handicap from a childhood disease so she, she found it difficult to walk and, and to do all the things she needed to do but she was sharp spoke Ukrainian, Russian, English, German and um probably others I know she knew some of others uh, she um, was was when I say mama I mean she looked out for us she would go to the market with us and if somebody tried to rip us off in the market because we were Americans and it was obvious she wouldn't stand for it and one time I got away to myself and I thought I got a good deal when I bought a kilo or two little over two pounds of sugar and I think I paid 11 cents and it should have been four cents and she cried she wept all the way back in that white van back to where we lived because they had cheated us and she was angry with them Svieta was a an interpreter, she didn't want to be because she didn't believe anything in this stupid Christianity stuff. She was an interpreter for a pastor from San Diego, California, a church of the Nazarene at Point Loma. And she was, she was a translator for him because she would make some money. So she went out on the street and translated his, his uh, sermon that day. This was in 1991. And um, 
she became a believer that day as she, as she uh, translated and translated the invitation. She began to follow Christ. She is tough. And I mean, she didn't look it, uh, but she is, oh, I'm pushing the wrong button. Yeah, she's tough. So this was her younger, obviously, and then this is younger, and this is her daughter, Zena. We met Zena when she was five. She was an early teen here. Um, and then there she is teaching uh, Sunday school teachers and leaders. She was one that always translated. So we would do a Bible study at a handicap facility in, in Kiev, up in the Avalon neighborhood. And she would do the translating as Shelley would lead a Bible study, or I would. And then finally we said, this study's written out. Why don't you just do it and we'll skip the translation bit? Besides when, you know, when you're a missionary or a Christian, you take the person you're discipling and you get them to do what they can do. So she started leading that. Bottom line, she received a call to be a pastor and she didn't think she could be because she was a woman and some people were telling her that, but in our church, you sure can. And um, so she went to Nazarene Seminary and, uh, and that was mostly online, but she did some work there and she got her degree and she's been a pastor for years. Uh, oops. So she, um, boy, when she teaches, she teaches and she, she's just a great teacher. Anyway, um, this is a picture of her husband, uh, Sergey and her and Shelly and I in their little uh, kitchen. No, that's in the entryway. Um, and then that's the two of us. So when I would go back over and work, I would work with her church doing training for her church and her people. And we were working through things there and she was working on how to say various things in their language. So this is her, just some other shots. That's her taking care of some sort of a rodent during the war while they were out in Germany after they had become refugees. Now, here is Sylvia. I mentioned her earlier again. No, it's not. Never mind. This is Sergei. This is Sam, and that's Zina. Zina is her daughter, is, is Svetlana's daughter. And Zina and Sam, and then these are their two children. I messed that up in the first service. That is Jura. So, um, so there they are. So we'll move on to Zina. Oh, I, I wish we had a video. There is one, and I'll try to send it. You can put it up maybe on your Facebook if I can get it, about, about the Nazarene Compassionate Ministries has made about Sveta's ministry during the war. It's a, incredible these people that had no confidence. She had been told that we believed that um, that the, uh, oh man, what was it? She, they, they, believed, they were told all kinds of crazy stuff during communism about what the Bible teaches. And she was, she had a lot to learn. Our, our daughter taught her quite a bit. Zena, Zena and her husband, Sam, are hot dogs. I mean, they're just constantly funny. They work with they work with music in their church. He works full time at a youth camp, a year round youth camp, where he teaches worship leaders out of, that are youth. And uh, Sam is just a, a crazy guy. He looks like a tough guy. He he's not. Um, and and Zena is she's tough. She's tough. She, but she's just wonderful. She's a writer. I also sent something to Abby. I don't know, maybe we can get that up too. It's something she's written after one year of war, what it's been like to be a single mother refugee as her husband was out fighting. But that's what happened on the first day of the war. Sam went to the enlistment center and enlisted to be in the military. 
Now this is Zena tra uh, translating for me as I was doing a, a, um, uh, a Zoom training event that was in my apartment in Kiev, but it was being Zoomed all the way to Vladivostok, which was eight time zones to the, to the um, east and up to oh, into, way into Russia, north and into Belarus. Um, so uh, anyway, Sam and Zena and two kids that in 2007, into 15, or sorry, 18, they adopted. They're just wonderful kids. They're just wonderful kids. But Zena has been a single mom for most of the last year. Sam has been off fighting this war. And now he's been able to come back home. I'm not sure the full story, and I try not to ask. Um, Zena, I mean, is a writer, and she writes in English as well as she writes. In fact, when I wrote my book, she was my first editor, and she corrected me on a lot of stuff in English. So, I mean, she, she's an incredible, but they're just a wonderful couple. She has worked in... Um, Poland for a while as refugees were pouring out those first weeks out of Ukraine into Poland. She would meet them at the border along with Volva and Sylvia that you're going to meet and several others. They would meet them at the border with Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. Again, when you support this, this um, faith promise thing, it's like a little seed you're planting maybe, but man, it goes all over the world. And so there, were, there was just... There was all sorts of supplies given to those people coming out from the church of the Nazarene. No, they didn't have to come to church or anything. Just met them at the train station, carried their luggage, hurried them along, got them to the next stage. Um, that's what's happening up there in the top left-hand corner. Uh, and here's, um, here's Zena speaking. She's, she, well, actually, that's her probably singing in uh, the worship team. And there's Sam doing something that's the most unnatural thing I can imagine for Sam. Uh, in this picture, but very natural when his family's lives are on the line. Um, yeah. Also in this picture, there's Volva up here. Volva was the most, he was just a sweet guy, but man, so just easygoing. He had a wife who was an alcoholic. She absolutely could not get herself sober. And Volva loved her to death. He raised his two boys pretty much on his own. Um, and this is him before I knew, no, this is right after we knew him, giving it to her. But uh, he was a, just a great young man. And uh, this is us probably after me preaching one Sunday. He was my Sunday interpreter. Or when I would meet with government officials, he would go with me and be the translator for that. Um, Volva is just one great guy. I want you to see, this is an old picture of him from 92 or 3, 93. But this is Sylvia, and she was a student that came over from um, Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego and lived with my wife and I. And we had 400 square feet, which is approximately the size of this stage, for um, where my two kids and my wife and I lived. And so we just moved her in because we had extra room. Um, and... <laughs> And she worked with our youth group and, uh, and lived on our couch. And um, what an incredible young girl she was. She ended up going back to Point Loma. And in these middle years, she was the director of discipleship for the university there. Just an incredible, incredible young lady. She'll come back into the story about right now. So here's during, in 2000, 
10 when I still had dark hair, um, or 11, yeah, 10, 2010, and Volva still had dark hair, um, we spent a day together, just the two of us. I think we walked 25 miles, I don't know. We walked a lot. He, he can walk fast and long, but we spent a lot of time together, and one of the things he said, his wife had died. She had actually frozen to death after getting drunk out on the streets of Kiev, and, um, and uh, he said, I'm so lonely, I, I, but I don't know that I should really get married anyway we had a talk and I told him it would be fine you know he had kept his vows to her and well so a year or so later I'm in my cabin in Brown County and I get a phone call and I said David see yeah this is Volva I am in America and I said what are you doing here he said I'm going to get married I'm asking someone to marry me and I said who are you going to ask do you know a girl named Sylvia <laughs> and Sylvia was like a daughter to us, of course, after living with us for eight months, and we kept in touch through the years. So I had the privilege of, that was, if you look the other way, you see the Pacific Ocean. We were right upon a cliff above the Pacific Ocean where the wedding was held there at Point Loma Nazarene University, and that was 2011, and uh, they have been an amazing couple. He had no confidence that he could be a pastor, and his latest job was he was not only the pastor of Kiev First Church of the Nazarene for oh, 13, 14, 15 years, but he was the district superintendent for um, all of Ukraine and Moldova and a leader of leaders, just a, a great, great man with the heart of Christ. What happened to him during the war? Well, he and his wife, uh, this is him now, um, a week or so after the war began with a lot of us begging them to get out of the city um, they they got in their little car and they headed out for the nine hour eight hour nine hour drive according to how you're going to the border of Poland and uh, it took them five days and they witnessed bombing of an airport they had to drive around bombed out vehicles they were just in terror this woman and this woman went along with them and this woman is is um, Volva's mama all three of these ladies are in their 80s and had to make that five day journey not allowed to stop during the day to go into a restroom anywhere and, and I, I work in hospice now so I'm very familiar with the term incontinent but Volva changed their diapers all the way across the country and took care of them and um got them safely to Poland and uh, his mama said just leave me here you see she was Russian and she met a Ukrainian man in the Soviet days and they lived in Kiev but she was born in Russia she said if my people want to kill me let them but Volvo wouldn't let her die <laughs> so um, he took her out and she's still, still with us in Poland Volvo works in Poland taking care of our Nazarenes and other people that have come out uh, as refugees from the war at this time. Oh, you see Maxime, wave, Maxime waving at us down here. We'll finally get to him. So this is Maxime, this is Lev, and this is um, Alexander, and this is Mariana. I had pneumonia one of the last times I was in Ukraine, and Mariana came to our apartment and doctored me 
she gave me more shots than I want to tell you about and, and it hurt um, but she was giving us all vitamins and I don't know if they did me any good but I did get better um, she did some cupping on my back but anyway they do with what they have so the Pristopuk family he was the chief endocrinologist in the city of Ukraine now after the great nuclear disaster that they had had just north of the city about 90 miles endocrinologists were in high demand but he was the chief endocrinologist for the for the main hospital there and his wife uh, was a doctor she was a um, diagnostic pediatric cardiologist um, it's a mouthful isn't it uh, and and both of them just absolutely amazing doctors Luba is not in this picture because she was really little and I think she was off to the side in her stroller but their daughter Luba Liv and Maxime today are also all doctors, surgeons and doctors. And uh, this is Mariana talking with my daughter back in the day. This is them at our first district assembly in Moscow. Um, this is them with our, our district advisory board that he was on. And this is he and his wife then and Max. But now, I want you to see today. This is Maxime. This is Lev doing surgeries for civilians on the front line. This, in fact, is a recent picture Maxime sent me from uh, Bakhmut, where if you're paying any attention right now, is the hot spot where the Wagner group is trying to... Uh, destroy like they've destroyed everything else they come to. This is also him. Um, the work these boys and their sister, we don't have pictures of her right now, but the work that they're doing is absolutely stunning. It's, it's amazing what they have accomplished and what they're doing for the kingdom. I want you to pause a second and remember, I didn't teach them to be doctors nor their parents. I didn't teach them anything except I taught them a little bit about how to have devotions and how to pray, and I preached week after week. You know, sometimes you think those sermons don't matter, <laughs> and, and I just did all this stuff and just tried to be faithful, and then other people did it after me, and other people did it after that, and they remained faithful, and they accomplished so much. This guy was not here when we went. He was a kid being raised in Phoenix, Arizona, and his name is Sean. And Sean came to Ukraine with his dad because Sean, I think, wasn't behaving well. And his dad wanted him to know that everything is not like it was where he was from. That life wasn't always just easy and gravy and could be tough. And so he brought him to Ukraine. And Sean saw how the orphans lived and the children lived. As soon as he got old enough, he moved to Ukraine, just moved there. He wasn't a missionary. He just moved there. He built this building, which is House of James, and he started taking in orphans. And he helped provide jobs for pastors who were starting churches in the villages by having them direct the orphanages with their wives. And then they would be the pastors in the area. He ended up doing three of those. There are three places called House of James in Ukraine today. They're all evacuated now, um, but they are 
kind of like um, hot spots on the Underground Railroad when people are sneaking in or out of the country. I don't think our president used one last week, but when people are going in and out of the country, that's, that's one of the places they stay so that they can just be safe or warm at least for a night. Um, he has a wife that's from Vinitsa, Ukraine, one of my favorite towns there, and, um, and then two children. This, this baby was born during right after the war started, not that long after, but some, a bit after. So what does Sean do when they close down his orphanages? He evacuates his family, and what's he do with himself? He hides, right? He goes in. Sean today is wearing a flak jacket every day of his life, a vest, Kevlar vest. He's taking Nazarene Compassionate Ministry foodstuffs. They stuff that van at the Polish border, and he drives it across the country. He's been in Kherson. He's been in. He's been in Bakhmut. He's been. He's. He's. I've seen videos that he's sent to us where he's where he's um, literally missiles. You can hear them falling like a block from where he is, and he's trying to get the food out as quickly as he can so he can go back and get more and bring it back. Hmm. Just the seed of God daring him to do something a little different. I like this picture because it's just kind of a subtle, simple picture that we took a long time ago. Do you ever take group pictures at Thanksgiving? Or I'm sure you do. You're in group pictures with friends or family or whatever. When you see them, don't think of them as, uh, you remember the Carpe Diem? Remember Dead Poets Society? Anybody remember that? Um, this guy is providing generators for families that have children with muscular dystrophy. This woman is visiting with the teams that go to the front lines and meeting as a pastor now with those who are in distress. That video will show some of it. Holding their hands and praying with them and pastoring them. This guy's caring for his mama and caring for refugees in Poland and still directing First Church from a distance. Um, this guy's doing surgeries as is this guy. They're on the front row, front line. Dr. Alexander passed away several years ago. Mariana is still faithfully serving in town. Um, so I'm here to talk about faith promise. And that's what I've just talked about. I, again, I didn't know a word of, they taught us Russian when we were there. Now we're trying to learn Ukrainian because Russian's not a popular language anymore uh, in, in that country. But um, when I went there, you know, we just went and learned and did our part, just like you're doing your part where you are. Don't think my job's better than yours or was or my, we all have, we all have circles of impact like that. What's gonna happen in the kingdom with those pictures you have? What's gonna happen in the future? What does tomorrow look like with those that you surround yourself with? Church of the Nazarene has this thing where I, I think of it as, if anybody knows what this is, I think of it as like a mutual fund where we give to one place and it goes all over the world. 
It just invests in ministries and countries all around the world as well as our own. I mean, when the disasters are hitting and the, the hurricanes hitting Florida or whether it's a typhoon hitting uh, in Bangladesh, whatever it is, the church is there. Church, is there. I mean, big time they're there passing out stuff, taking care. When you invest in faith promise here, you give what you can. Your pastor will talk to you about that. But that gift multiplies. And, and if the gifts you give now, who knows what's going to be happening 40 years from now where you gave them to. So 40 years ago or 30 years ago, I was there. 30 years later, I didn't train people to work in a war. I trained them to follow Jesus and to listen to him. That was, that was a note that Svetlana sent me yesterday. Make sure people keep praying, just asking God, what do you want of me? What do you want of me? for one second and many of you are maybe new in the last year to the church of the Nazarene and what's so beautiful about the Nazarene church is that when you're a part of let's say faith promise in this local church it is something that goes around the world it's a gift that just I believe is corny but just keeps on giving and I love his analogy of the mutual fund you have no idea what it's doing and honestly we just got a glimpse <coughs> today of one area a small area that God is using the Church of the Nazarene and the missionaries within the Nazarene Church to do an incredible work. And so, and I'd be encouraged to say today, and you should be encouraged, that it's happening all over. There are places that we can't even mention that we're at, and because of your giving, it's possible. And so, for those of you that are new, faith promise is kind of a new thing, and there's a couple of things that we ask in the Church of the Nazarene first, is that you be faithful in your giving that is the Lord's command to us. We don't like to see it that way, but it really is. And it is an exchange of love between us and him. And uh, this is above that. This is, this is called sacrifice. This is different. This is harder. This is saying, hey, will you help the worldwide mission of the Church of the Nazarene, but greater will you help the movement of the kingdom of God in places like Ukraine? And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I love what he said because I've watched a lot of what's happened and right at the border, there is Nazarene Compassionate Ministries feeding, helping, supplying, and that is because of you. And that is because of me and because of the many churches and people that are committed to those works. And so um, I'm going to say it a little bit differently in this service, but if you are going to make a pledge today, you've gotten a pamphlet, it gives you a lot of information. I'd first encourage you to go online and check out our Facebook page. The last couple of days, we have shown you some things that we have done personally here at this church with Faith Promise. So check those last couple of days and you'll see because... We at ASC, we like to go above and beyond, and so we've gone above, and we do other things outside of our Faith Promise Pledge, and those things are highlighted there. They're also highlighted in your pamphlet. If you didn't get a pamphlet, please make sure and grab one on your way out. But if you'd like to make your pledge online, you can just pull up your app. And so there, if you don't have the app, y'all, come on now. You know what I mean? Most of you, I know you, so I know you. And anyway, grab your app. You can go on there, and you'll see that Faith Promise is the header there. You just click that. Look, our internet's working. Look at that. Shoot. 
Well, maybe it's my phone internet. I think I got my internet off. Anyway, there's your form right there. You fill it out, and that sends it to the office. And our pledge goal is 80000 and that's given in a whole year. And our church year, fiscal year, starts in March. And so why we do a lot of these things in February is we're preparing for um, our new budget year, which starts next month. All those funds goes to the World Evangelism world evangelism fund as well as the things like we do afc supports the church of the nazarene in iraq um i can't say the other word that well but um the work there and so we're supporting a church in iraq and other things we also support abby cabello with freedom ministries and um so lots of things so check that out and see the other things that we're doing on top of our world evangelism fund and you can go and fill out your faith promise form right there on your app and you can do a lot of other things on your app too well it's been great pastor shelley thank you so much for being here today and sharing and i know many here um, know you well and grew up with you and are so thankful to hear of your ministry and it's so neat to see what you started through the heart of the lord in 1992 and how still today it's having an impact in that area and so praise god for people that are willing to leave and say yes and go places that many of us right don't want to go to so thank you so much and uh, we appreciate your gift of ministry let's pray together as we close today god we thank you so much for just the testimony of your people god the testimony of your people it does speak it does change us it does show us that seeds planted can grow i think sometimes in our humanness we just think well when is it ever going to happen when are we going to see the fruit well today we saw and we witnessed fruit. And that fruit is because many people around the world that call themselves Nazarenes, a church that's for the down and out, a church that stands on the words that were spoken in the Bible, what good could come from Nazareth? Well, lots of good when the Spirit of God comes in. And so today, we believe that as you come into our hearts and stretch us a little bit, seeds will and can be planted and we thank you that today, my goodness, 92 to today, still serving and working and ministering. And one thing that I kept thinking is many of those people that he met in 92 were not Christians when that picture was taken, but now are. So God, we thank you. We praise you for your work. We do pray for the people of Ukraine. God, we pray that you would comfort their hearts. We pray that you would move in and through those that are there serving and ministering. God, keep them safe and protected. And we just pray that you would just break a revival out there of your presence and of your word and of your goodness and of your love and of your mercy. And so today we commit this time to you, this day to you, and our sacrifice to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. If you're a part of the training after church, just go downstairs to the lower level um, so that you can be a part of that.